Our gracious God, as we heard at the beginning of the service, that other psalm, Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Lord, would we have soft hearts today, fleshy hearts, Lord, that you would be able to work with to bring comfort, to bring challenge where we need it, to bring the love of Christ deep to our hearts that we might live for him and know him more dearly as our saviour and our shepherd. Amen. Well, I think it was, was it Harold Wilson who said a week is a long time in politics? Uh, the reality may not have changed very much, really, over the last week in many ways, but it, it feels like it has, doesn't it? Uh, in terms of when we were uh, sitting here a week ago to when we we're sitting here uh, today. And uh, I'm so grateful to all those who've, who've responded to some of the uh, things that we've needed to do over those last days. Our wardens have been fantastic volunteers and so on, cleaning and all the rest of it, setting things up so that we can gather and hear God's, God's word. But whenever everything around you is changing and when, um, when everyone is having to adapt, like we are even here, to a new circumstances um, because of the coronavirus, when there's, when there's fear of, of the unknown, I thought it might be comforting to come back to the familiar. Um, the familiar, first of all, Psalm 23, in Bible terms, is numbered 23, but it's definitely number one in the psalm charts, isn't it, for many of us? It's that gorgeous poetry. It's the uh, lyrical kind of Shakespearean, before Shakespeare was even a twinkle in anybody's eye. Some of you will have known it from childhood, of course, in the King James uh, version or in the Book of Common Prayer. It's been quoted in popular culture in countless film uh, scenes. You've probably seen the classic Hollywood film scene, umpteen times. It always seems to go the same way, the one where you've got a gathering of mourners all dressed in black on a bright green lawn, probably a white picket fence as well, and the women dab at their faces with handkerchiefs. They'd obviously not heard of catch it, bin it, kill it in those days. And they would, they would cut to the, the, the priest reading this psalm, maybe just the line, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he drones on in a monotone voice, never showing any emotion. And then they kind of cut to the end of the, the liturgy, and the mourners disperse, uh, where for some reason it always starts to rain. That's, that's the kind of classic, uh, the classic scene. I, I read or the congregation sings this psalm at the vast majority of funerals that I'm asked to conduct. I suspect it's similar for Richard uh, as well, which is apt, but also potentially misleading because it implies that this psalm is more fitting for death than it is for life. And actually, it covers the whole thing. It's very much for life as well as for death. After all, I reflected this psalm won't do us any good at our funeral, will it? But suffice to note for now, this is familiar, familiar. Is it comforting? And if so, who is it comforting for? Um, at the crematorium, the staff there sometimes forget to clear the chapel of the paperwork pertaining to the service that's just taken place. Well, I'm a nosy fellow, so I tend to kind of have a quick look and see what's gone before. And uh, I distinctly remember, I think it was in January this year, looking at one of such examples, and uh, it had very clearly non-religious written at the top, underlined. And yet just a quick scan down the contents. And there was the Lord's Prayer and there was the 23rd Psalm. Hedging their bets. I don't know. 
But it does tell us that it's not only Christians who have an affinity, who know and love these words. Many have found and still find it inspiring and uplifting and reassuring, reassuring comforting. Um, which I think does raise this important question for us. In what sense can we find it comforting? Who can find it comforting? Genuinely. And it's not necessarily the warm, fuzzy answer that we might hope for, uh, particularly in the light of the current fears, the current distress. Not everyone can take comfort immediately from these words. There are some who think they can. They can maybe even recite it. And yet who have no right to take comfort from it. Sounds a pretty bold statement, doesn't it, to make. Now, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but by layman's standards, I, I sort of think I've got a half-decent singing voice. You know, sometimes I can kind of, there's a new song, I can just about hold the tune so that you guys can kind of tune into it a little bit. Um, but if I were to turn up at the Royal Opera House and think I could just wander onto the stage and, you know, be part of Rigoletto or whatever it is, I suspect I'd be told where to go. And rightly so. I wouldn't have had the training, let alone the talent. Uh, no auditions. It just wouldn't wash. There's a checkpoint, isn't there, for singing on the stage of the Royal Opera House. And there's a checkpoint as well for deriving comfort from the Psalms. Um, the checkpoint, actually, I think, is right at the beginning of the Book of Psalms, the Psalter, where we meet the blessed man of Psalm 1, who is explained to us in Psalm 2 as the Lord, uh, God's anointed king the Christ. Blessed is the man, or the one, and blessed are all who take refuge in him. That tells me that I can only sing these psalms, because this is, after all, the songbook of the church, if I've taken refuge, if I've put my trust into the Lord and the King, who is Jesus Christ. And I think it's striking as well that before Psalm 23, you have, and I can just about count still, Psalm 22, where the anointed one is put to death. The king is the servant king who will pour out his life for the salvation of his people. And so we, I think we can say as simply as this, that to have Jesus as our shepherd presupposes that we know him as our saviour, that we've come to him. Blessed is the man, and blessed is he or she who takes refuge in him, the one who was crucified for us. You have to be a sheep, not a goat, to take comfort from this psalm. And in this psalm, it's so beautiful a picture of the good shepherd the Lord Jesus, the psalm of David, David the king, David the anointed one, David the little sea Christ, his greater son, the Lord Jesus. That if we listen, and if we listen and ask him as we listen, we may yet, even if already he's not our saviour, we may end up the end of today knowing and loving this psalm, not just because of its language, but because of its hero. If Jesus is your saviour, then he is your shepherd. 
So that seems like quite a long introduction, but Psalm 23 then, familiar to many, comforting, genuinely comforting to those who are in the Saviour, who are in the King, who are in Christ. What does it mean then for those of us who do know Jesus as our Saviour and Lord? What does it mean for Jesus to be our shepherd? There's a rich biblical vein in shepherding, isn't there? Um, Some of the great heroes of the faith were real sheep shepherds, weren't they? Um, Abraham for a time, Moses for a time, David, the author of this psalm, perhaps most famously of all. And God often referred to the uh, spiritual leaders of his people through history as shepherds. Um, He rebukes them, doesn't he, in Ezekiel famously, for not really caring for the, sh- for the flock, for the people, but sort of fattening themselves, exploiting them. And he removes the rotten shepherds and he promises that he will care for the people himself through David, the shepherd king who first penned these words, but ultimately through a greater shepherd king. The sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep. And look after them. Wonderful words of a God who promises to shepherd his people. And then we've heard them already, haven't we, on the lips of the Lord Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. You know, if there's one thing that particularly sustains me, when there's trouble on the horizon, when we're being surrounded by the unknown, by changing times and by fear, is that Jesus Christ promises to care for his flock with the intimacy of love and care and relationship that he, the Son, has with his Father. You can't get more intimate and caring than that. That's a word to us, isn't it, when we're fearful and anxious. And so if we read Psalm 23 with Jesus as the shepherd, we can unpack all the blessings that coming to him as Lord and Saviour and having him as our shepherd brings. And here they are. Here's the first one. He gives us everything that's good for us. I shall not be in want. That's what it says, doesn't it? It doesn't mean I never desire anything in the sense of the word want. It means I'll never lack anything that the good shepherd knows that is good for me, that I need. He's able to provide us with everything that is good for us. He does provide and provide and provide. He gives us protected pasture where we can eat and drink in safety. Is your testimony as a Christian, I'm sure it is if you are a Christian, that God has always provided for you. That no good thing has he withheld from you that didn't serve your growth, that didn't serve your good. He also restores his sheep. He restores my soul. So he restores us spiritually. He causes us to turn back to him in repentance and faith when, like sheep do, we go astray. And he welcomes us back into the fold. That's why we confess our sins, isn't it, at the beginning of most services and receive that assurance of his forgiveness. He also restores us 
physically and mentally as we find ourselves deeply renewed when we turn back to him, however weak and ailing we may have been, spiritually speaking. He also guides his sheep. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I guess we tend to pray that the paths that he guides us in will be into the green pastures and the quiet waters. But as we're experiencing now, that isn't always the case. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, even though, this is verse 4 of the psalm, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But where is the shepherd, Jesus, pictured in the psalm? When the sheep are in the valley, where is he pictured? Alongside. He's pictured alongside his sheep. To escort, to draw alongside means that I can say, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So if over the course of these next days you, a follower of Jesus, go through the valley, it's because Jesus the Good Shepherd is guiding you there and he's got it covered. The path through the valley is as much a path of righteousness as the green pastures and the quiet waters. Because he knows it's good for us. I shall not be in want. He will not withhold an experience that he intends for good for us. And he knows best what that experience is and might be. And we know, don't we, in the scriptures that so often God refines our faith in the crucible of suffering. That's why James can write these extraordinary words in the New Testament. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I believe that this present distress will be used of God to refine the faith of his people. I love the way that David switches from the he to the more intimate you as he pictures the Lord guiding him in the valley. He faced many trials, didn't he? He had a king who was already on the throne seeking to kill him because he was the one who'd been anointed by God to take over. But the crisis of life, if we're a sheep, he draws near to us in the valley. So we, by faith, draw near to him. And then the other thing he does for us, the good thing he does when he's guiding us in the valley of the shadow, is he does indeed, for his believing sheep, comfort us. He does it in quite an extraordinary way. You know the phrase, don't you? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now whether the staff is the... Well, I don't know, the rod is more of a weapon and the staff more of a prodding instrument for controlling and rounding up the flock as the shepherd walks. There is a history of the rod and the staff in God's people. It was God's rod or staff in the hands of Moses who brought judgment on the river Nile when it turned to blood, that then parted the Red Sea, delivered God's people through his judgment of the Egyptian army. So we know that God's salvation through judgment 
comfort us when we're trusting Christ. And we know that it's God's rod or your staff that provide water from the rock. Do you remember when the people were thirsty in the desert? And then perhaps most assuringly of all, when God was angry with the people because of their grumbling, because there'll be plenty of grumbling that goes on, even amongst us over these next days, won't there? As we're restricted in certain ways, as we're worried, as our holidays are all cancelled, as we have all these sort of things that may happen, perhaps as we end up having to have the kids at home for yonks. Grumbling will happen. A few days ago, we were probably grumbling, oh, it's all an overreaction. Maybe we still are. But you know, when they grumbled, it was the rock that he smote in judgment, wasn't it? Not the people. And Paul tells us in the New Testament that that rock was Jesus Christ. So he doesn't just accompany us in the valley. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ was willing, remember Psalm 22, (laughs) to bear the wrath and judgment of God for the sin of his sheep for the grumbling and lack of gratitude of his sheep. Not just going through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus, but experiencing death and hell so that we can live eternally and experience heaven, so that we can be led into an eternal safe and green pasture and live with him forever. You better hold on to that thought in the coming days. I will be. But that might mean we get the odd prod from his rod. (laughs) But not as judgment, but as loving discipline. Living water flows from Jesus as a result of his sacrifice. And isn't that, brothers and sisters, ultimately how Jesus Christ comforts us, his sheep, his people, as the good shepherd, by laying down his life for us. I am the good shepherd, that good shepherd lays down his life for. I lay down my life only to take it up again. We're coming, aren't we, as we cycle through Lent towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We don't quite know what they're going to look like this year in our worshipping community. But we do know that Jesus Christ has died and has risen again. And he's able to do all these things. He's able to do all these things. So I'll be committed, will I not, therefore, as one of his sheep, to listen to his voice throughout this distress. Because he knows us. And now is not the time to turn away from following and trusting him. But to hold on to the promise. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. If Jesus is your saviour, then he is your shepherd, giving us everything that's good for us, providing, restoring, guiding, the only one who can truly comfort us if we're truly his by faith. When we've taken refuge in him, the blessed man, whatever the ups and downs of life lived for him, whatever the machinations of these weeks and months to come, Even if we have to face suffering and even death, we will fear no evil. We will not be in want.
because Jesus, our good shepherd, promises to care for you, to protect you and to give you life. And he promises that he will guide you safely home to God's new creation of perfect peace and provision and restoration. That's the last couple of verses, isn't it, of the psalm, where we see that Jesus relentlessly pursues us with his goodness and his love. Let me read those last two verses. They're familiar to you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, in the new creation, there won't be any need for hand sanitizer. We won't have to be careful about the nature of taking the refreshments that will be on offer, because there's going to be a banquet, a feast, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, is going to give to his people. Satan, death and hell cannot prevent or prevail against the one who died that we might live and live with him eternally. Surely goodness and love, loving mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I love that. It's not that Jesus' love kind of trails behind us never quite catching up with us. It's not, surely goodness and love will lag behind me all my days. It's goodness and love pursuing us relentlessly as the shepherd comes after us to bless us with his abundant life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Don't wander. Praise him for this. Love him for this. Trust him for this. Let him have you forever. That's helping me. That's sustaining me in the unknown. In the machinations of coronavirus. And whatever comes next year or the year after or the year after that. And if Jesus hasn't been your shepherd, but you're sensing him today, pursuing you with his goodness and love, ask him to help you to listen, to have ears to listen to his voice, and to have hearts that long to follow where he calls us. I'm going to finish with this story. Um, One or two will have heard this before, I'm sure. Certainly on Thursday we shared this together. Here's the story that I want to finish with. Um, It's an old story. Two hikers in the Welsh mountains come upon a young man keeping his sheep. They're charmed by this this man. He's really a young boy. And they are talking. And they end up talking about the 23rd Psalm. These two men are believers. And... uh, They're explaining the 23rd Psalm to this young boy. I don't think he's had any education particularly. So they think of a way. And what they do is they basically, they say, they take his hand. They get him to take his hand and the digits on his hand. And they say, let let each digit on your hand stand for a word. They take his left hand. And they say, you can meditate on this psalm. And this is something perhaps that we can do over these days and weeks to come. To meditate on this psalm by grasping each digit one at a time with our other hand having washed it first. 
And the, the first, the thumb here, stands for the. It's an emphatic beginning, isn't it? Next, the index finger stands for Lord. The word Lord. So when you grasp your index finger, the one that kind of points, <laughs> ponder the goodness and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved that boy and who loves you. And then the long, what's that, Toby Tall, take the long finger, grasp that. And the guy said to this boy, that stands for the word is, that the Lord is alive and he's here with you right now in the present tense. And then the fourth finger uh, stands for the fourth word in the verse, my. The Lord is my. I've got a wedding ring on my uh, fourth finger. It reminds me, I guess, every day of the personal and exclusive relationship I have with you. The one that I love. What about the personal and exclusive relationship we enjoy with Jesus? The one who loved us and we love. And then the pinky, the little finger, stands for shepherd. When you come to the end of your hand, the end of any task, the end of your tether with all this coronavirus stuff, the end of your life, even, you find that the shepherd is still there, abiding with you always. This boy drank in every word, and um, the following year the men returned on another hiking trip. This time they stopped at a small wayfaring house for a cup of tea, and on the table was a picture of that very boy, and they asked about him. And uh, there was a woman there, and she put down her cup. She composed herself, and she said, yes, that, that was my son, and uh, he died last winter in a storm. He fell down a ravine, and he stayed there for a very long time, only later did we find him. And then she added, there was something strange about it, though. She said, we've never understood this. When we found his body, his right hand was grasping the fourth finger of his left hand. Ah, said one of the men. Softly, we can explain that. And they told the mother what had happened the previous year, that in gripping that fourth finger, the boy was reminding himself that the Lord Jesus was his shepherd. He's my shepherd, even at his life's end. What a comfort. It was an unspeakable gift, actually, to that mother to hear that story explained to her about her son. It's a very personal psalm for us, isn't it? 28 personal pronouns. Ask one of the young people what that, what that means. They do that these days. 28 personal pronouns in six verses. So when we say or sing, the Lord is my shepherd, we are saying, I am one of Jesus' sheep. He owns me. I'm under his management, his good, loving care. He laid down his life for me. And I now have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, a friendship and fellowship that cannot be broken in life by coronavirus or anything else, can't even be ended by death. And will you follow him? Will you trust the Savior that he might be your shepherd, your beautiful God, good shepherd king for all eternity? Because the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Don't you long for that day? It's not really the psalm that we should love, is it? It's the shepherd. It's the shepherd. Let's pray.